I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I have found myself in the middle of the phenomenon that is the Christian music industry. From my years recording and touring the world as one of the guys in For Him, to my years as a megachurch worship pastor, and for the past 16 years, I've been hosting a radio show called Worship with Andy Chrisman, heard on 500 stations around the world every week. And because of all this, I've been blessed with a unique perspective. I've toured with, recorded with, and become friends with just about everyone that's responsible for the music that plays on Christian radio and sung in churches everywhere. I think that makes me the perfect person to share their stories with you here on One Degree of Andy. Shared experiences are rare, especially in the music industry. There are very few people who can truly understand what that life is like and the mark it can leave on you. And I'm blessed to have several of those friends, not just who I got to know in my CCM days, but who walked a very similar path and can truly understand me. Jody, you're one of those people for me. Although Mm -hmm. your personal journey is unique with its own twists and turns, I think we have a lot to talk about today. You have one of the most unique and beautiful voices in Christian music history. And if you haven't heard Jody sing lately, I mean, dude, you're you're getting you you're better than ever. I mean, what the heck? That's not the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, supposed to be getting old like me. Hot kettle here. Uh, I mean, I told I first like to say thank you. That's very kind of you to say all of that, and all that's true. And I've been thinking about it a lot, you know, since you reached out to me. And I told my wife on the way home. I said, Andy Christman asked me to 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 come on his podcast, and she's like. As in Andy Crispin for him, Andy Crispin? I'm like, well, how many Andy Crispins do you know? <laughs> Listen, my wife is, I mean, she's a bigger fan of you than she is of me, I think. <laughs> uh, Stephanie's awesome. She's always been so nice to me. <laughs> she loves her yeah. voice. But I, I, dude, let me tell you, we, I, I'll, let's get all this stuff just out of the way. Okay. So on the way down to the beach, because we drive, we were just at the beach this past week. Uh-huh. Uh, my daughter just turned 18 and she's going into her Wow. And we have like, literally six days to spend with her this summer like every day every day is packed yeah and so i was like we're going to the beach i don't care what anybody says we're leaving and so they all packed up and we went and we listened to 90s christian music the entire way down and because my kid you know she she's listened to avalon stuff but she's never and like we played the uh the only thing i need which is probably one of my favorite for him songs and i don't oh, wow. know yeah i just had brent bourgeois on that we talked a lot about that song because that was our first time in the studio with him. But dude, when you when you come in and you start singing, I, I, it's just like all of those guys, all of you guys are great. Obviously, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of all of their voices. But dude, it's just like somebody turns a key when you start singing. It's oh, it's you're very kind. You, you crank that engine up, buddy. It's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I say I'll do a little plug for Caleb Nineties. Um, yeah, on, on the app, man. Like I listen to it all the time, and. I was one of those that kind of just laid, you know, when when the bulk of my Christian music career was over, I just kind of laid it aside. I was like, yeah, yeah it was, that was great. Let's go do something else. I got into worship, started doing some other things. And since I've been doing this podcast and going back and listening to a lot of those classic 80s and, and 90s Christian albums, you just don't hear that anymore. There's it, it, it left its mark and it's a beautiful, it's like a little beautiful oasis of music. It's just sitting there for people to discover. And that's why this has been so fun. I, yeah. I, I hope more people start doing what you guys did and just go, let's go back and let's go back and listen to that again, yeah. because there's you some know, really great stuff out there. There is. And you know, the funny thing that we, I was trying to explain this to my daughter too, because she's, 
my, listen, my kid's a great singer. She's probably a better singer at 18 than I was. Just Which is scary. She, well, she's got a great, but she has no desire to go into music at all. Like she wants to study law. And so, you know, just to, to name drop, but I'm not name dropping because they truly are our closest friends, but the West, Matthew West and Emily uh -huh. West and Lulu, his daughter is my daughter's best friend. And then Emily, his wife is my wife's best friend. So we do a lot of life with them. And um, my daughter has always talked about wanting to be a lawyer. She's going to go to school to be a lawyer and all this stuff. And Matthew and Emily are always like, a lawyer? You're an incredible <laughs> singer. You know, why would you? And I'm always like, honey, go do it. <laughs> yeah. Go do it. Pays the bills, please. That's exactly right. Or, yeah, or you please. Can use it, just let me marry save well. you. Yeah, let me save you from this life if I could. Marry a lawyer. Yeah. But um, anyway, so she she and I sang at something together at school. We sang Ad and I at a, at a talent show thing, and Matthew was there. And and Matthew walked up to her after us, and he goes, not bad for a lawyer, you know. Uh -huh. And she just, she's just a great singer. Anyway. We were listening to that stuff and some of that stuff, especially the early Avalon stuff, which was kind of a little bit of the not later stuff before him. But there was some overlap there. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have all the pitch control stuff. Like, I mean, I think the first two Avalon records were done on tape. Yeah. Like, I remember them spooling up tape for those mm -hmm. and you could fix stuff, man. I mean, if you'd have to sing it a thousand times if it was flat or sharp. Yeah, or you had to work. Yeah. I mean, it's not work. that singers don't work nowadays. I was just in the studio helping produce um a new vocalist that's on fair trade and uh she worked hard i mean yeah. it's a different type of work but we had to work back in those days because your voice starts wearing out you got to kick into another gear because clock's yeah. ticking man yeah money's did being spent you guys did he produce any of your stuff who brown banister uh, brown produced one song for us brown was always on the top of our wish list and we could never get our schedules what? working together you well never... because he was one of the busiest guys in town well, and i don't know how um, we but we yeah we did one song with him it was a song on uh oh we did that my utmost for his highest album oh yeah were yeah you guys on you guys on that we weren't on the record but we were on the tour we went on okay because you know Norman okay. miller our manager oh that's did right all the tours yeah so, that's right that's well right. i think i'll throw avalon on here just for <laughs> some free publicity you know you guys are great <laughs> oh great. man what a what a uh, what a personality still, in the history of Christian music. I still can't believe he's the guy that got you guys to dress up like shepherds. Uh, you know, some of those things you look back on and go with, we thought it was a good idea at the time. And then I came across that promo, uh, that promo picture not long ago. And I'm like, we, yeah, we look just as goofy as I remember us looking. Yeah. yeah well, that was Michael Omardian, yeah. Michael Omardian yeah. had a lot to do with that too. He did. He did. My, Omar talked us into that because Omar was producing a, us a lot during that era yeah. and talked us into that. And it, so it, for those listening, it's uh, an album called The Child of the Promise, mm -hmm. a Christmas album that was kind of like supposed to the heir apparent to Young Messiah. Yeah. It was going right. to kind of take Young Messiah to that next level with acting. Yeah. In fact, I had Russ Taff on uh, several yeah. episodes ago, and he, uh, he we, we were laughing about that story where he played Gabriel, <laughs> and he would go up on that big, right. that big cherry picker. <laughs> Oh my god! It terrified him. He was terrified to be up there because he's in that tiny little cage. And then one time, oh, uh, the he'd finished his he'd finished his uh, thing, and we were about to go on, and the the hydraulic broke, and it wouldn't go down. And he is screaming at the top of his lungs, "Get me down! Get me down!" Oh man, those were some oh. of those some of those things you wish people could have had a little peek at, and they thought, "Oh, oh it's just." But yeah, that listen, I that was um, 
there, I, I, that's the thing is you sit back as for all of the, and there's a million bad things we could talk about. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. I'm sure we touch on some of them, but gosh, what a blast, you know, mm-hmm. what a, what an honor to be a part of that and to be yeah. what I feel like was the golden age of Christian music. You know what I'm yes, saying? Like, I agree when I felt like that it was, you know, radio was more friendly and, you know, it was just, it just yeah. felt like easier you know well it was the wild west out there too it's like you could do anything you know you could hear you could hear avalon and you could hear for him and then you could hear dc talk and you could hear twyla Mm -hmm. paris and you Mm -hmm. could hear make even get striper on the radio back then you know it was it was just if you were good and you were unique there was there was a place for you in christian radio it's kind of not like that as much anymore but i think that's why i look back at 90s christian music and just go there's so many different people. Cindy Morgan, I just had her on a few episodes ago, and how she she started out as a kind of a dance pop artist, kind of almost a Paula Abdul type. Uh, and but and it, the, the, which the first records I loved, they were yeah, great. they were amazing. Mark, it's because Mark. she was a great songwriter. Yeah, you know, she, and then that finally you know started to poke through in her in her later work to go, oh my gosh, she's one of the best songwriters in CCM history. And just, I still listen to her, the loving kind of, Oh, that, great. That yeah. You know, I think Brent produced that. Didn't yeah. He? Back to Brent Bourgeois. Yeah. Uh-huh. That from start to finish, that record is a masterpiece to me. Like just the, the insight into that. And, and she even, I think she had some like Avalon and when we were out with anointed, we all came in and got to do some, background vocal work on a couple of songs on that record. And I remember thinking, man, this is something special. And I don't think it got the, it didn't get the notoriety that I think it should have because it wasn't commercial. You know, yeah. it was more of a, an yeah. art piece. But it was, God, it was good. Yeah. Brent and I talked about that a little bit because, you know, he came from, he came from LA in the pop world and he was a little more introspective in the way he produced and wrote. And so there were several of us that were drawn to him to go, yeah. is there some place else we can go as a, as a group and other things we can say and other different ways to say them. And, um, sadly, you know, it was the late nineties, early two thousands when, you know, uh, kind of, there was a, a little bit of a reckoning on Christian music at the time. And, you know, the labels didn't do well. And there was kind of that changing of the guard. So who knows where that music could have gone, yeah. you know, later on in the two thousands, but I digress, I, you know, um, we can talk about some more of that in a minute, but I want to hear your story. I want I want our our listeners to hear your story. You know, I I mentioned earlier in the intro that you know we kind of have a shared journey together. A, a lot of our journey is very similar, <clears throat> at least by the time each of us got to Truth. Uh, I was in Truth from eighty seven to ninety. You were there from ninety two, ninety one. Okay, so not long after we had left. Yeah. And there was a pretty big change. Whose place did you take when you Larry Harrison? Oh, wow. I they love hired Larry. Larry, I think, to take your place. And then I don't yeah, know. What maybe. Happened. No clue. And Either then, him or Peter Penrose. I can't remember. Uh, maybe Peter, yeah. Peter might have been more of that, that Kirk Sullivan type voice. Well, maybe not voice, <laughs> yeah. but attitude, as he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Peter had Peter had the gift of sarcasm, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Still um, does, but you know, he, yeah, I'm sure he does. Um, yeah, you know, it's so interesting because yes, I spent the weekend with John Thorne. We can talk about that later. But oh my gosh. John uh, up in Michigan, John's yeah. another troop played uh, yeah. bass, right? Yeah, and then he went on to play for Whiteheart and 
Margaret Becker. Margaret Becker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, he kind of was hosting me at a church, one of the churches I was at this weekend. And, um, we were talking about a lot of stuff. I, you know, I heard about truth when I was in high school and I, I mean, I sang a little bit in high school. I wasn't, I never in a million years thought I would end up being a professional or a singer as a profession, you know, and definitely didn't give any thought to the calling aspect of it. I mean, yeah. I just was so immature. I, I'm still immature in a lot of ways, but at least I recognize now where that calling comes from. But, um, <laughs> and we were talking about Carpenter's home church and oh, yeah. you were there that first time. I, I remember singing in church on a Sunday morning and a friend of mine walking up and saying, you should go hear truth. You'd be great in that group. They're at Carpenter's home tonight. And I'm like, Okay. And so my dad and my mom and I drove to Lakeland from Tampa. Wow. And got in about two songs in. And, you know, Roger was super long winded that night, which some nights he would just roll songs. Yeah, he would. He would. Yeah. Some nights, nervous. yeah, we'd get maybe four songs in a two hour set. Yeah. And I remember, you know, what's so funny is I went back and listened to that concert again. Well, John Thorne actually sent me the footage. Oh, and wow. And there's footage of me and my father walking down front, which was a whole other thing. But, wow. um, anyway, yeah, I think you guys sang like six songs that night. It was a very music light night. And I don't know why Roger was nervous. Something must have been going on. But anyway, that was the night that I talked to Roger and said, hey, you know, my dad actually pulled on his pant leg while we were all down around it and said, my son wants to be in this group. And Roger's like, well, your son needs to go to college, you know, and ended up going to Liberty. Um, yeah. Met Jason, his son, who actually went to Liberty and then Jeremy. Yeah. And yeah. then eventually we became roommates. It was kind of random. Uh -huh. And then out of Liberty, I went with Truth and was with Truth for two years and um, left in the dark of night <laughs> after, uh, <laughs> you know, getting in trouble, which I wasn't in trouble technically. Like Roger did not fire me. And I always try to give that disclaimer. He didn't fire yeah. me, but I, it just, I just needed to step away. It was, it was the right thing to do and moved to California, uh, lived out there for a couple of years. What'd you do while you were there? So I worked at Disney first uh, and I wasn't singing or anything. I was actually working in talent booking. So I uh -huh. like was hiring people to sing, but I wasn't singing myself, which was awkward. Like it just felt weird. And so I ended up getting fired because I hired myself to sing at something. And the guy, my boss was like, that was really beautiful, but you're fired. And I was like, <laughs> Dang. but it was a horrible environment, man. And I, you know, back then, especially I was like, just wet behind the ears and had not lived any kind of, I was always in this Christian bubble, you know? And so things that I had experienced being out there with Disney, I was like, Whoa, you know, what's happening. So I ended up working at a church for a few months with Matt court. Do you know, Matthew court? Do you remember him? Uh, he maybe. was, he played, he played horn. Okay. Through, and um, he was the, the worship pastor to church in your Belinda. And now he's the, the head pastor, but I worked at his church for about, Three and a half, four months, and then Roger called and said, "Actually, Billy Breland called me." Oh wow! He Billy. called me five a.m. because you know that was seven a.m. Mobile time, and he yeah. he's like, "Jody, I'm ready for you to come back to Truth." And I'm like, "Well, that's neat. I'm glad you're ready. Is your brother ready for me to come back?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, the next day, I went. Truth was actually at Skyline Wesleyan um, in San Diego, so I drove down to see them and. I hadn't talked to Roger since I left and it had been a couple of years. And the first thing he said when I walked in was, he goes, you said you'd be right back. You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, here I am. And, and I so how long did, then how long did you tour again? Uh, two more years. Uh, okay. came back, and when I came back that time, it was with Jana mm -hmm. and Natalie Grant and Brad Parsley and Jason. Wow. 
and Michelle Swift. So that was the one. Wow. Outreach. What a powerhouse. What a, that was a powerhouse front line. It was strong, man. I, yeah. I, mean, I don't know that we realized it at the time, but you know, it was, and Roger wanted us to be an artist. You know, he wanted truth to be an artist. Yeah. We with integrity and that's what they wanted. And yeah, you know, when it started to fall apart a little bit, I think he was super disappointed as he always was. I don't think. Well, he ever yeah. That. He was, you know, it was tough on Roger because so many people left his group and went on to achieve all those accolades that, that yeah. escaped him. You know, truth only had a handful of number one songs and 30 some years of, of making records and touring. They, they never got the big shot to play the, you know, they were never honored at Dove awards or, you know, they just, they were, they were kind of an afterthought to the industry. But when you look back on the history of Christian music, I don't know what Christian music would have been like without truth. No, yeah. Not just the front people, not just because of guys like us, but the musicians and the and the the sound engineers and I'm my goodness, uh it, it literally he was a he he never liked us to say this. I don't know if you guys said it in your in your ear of truth, but we always called it Christian music boot camp. Oh yeah, we said and, that. Too. And he hated that. <laughs> he hated that. But it was a farm club. It's a little, I never yeah. understood he didn't embrace the whole sending people out thing you know what yeah. i mean like he was oh and i guess it's because he wanted truth to have its own identity and its own uh -huh. like you said yeah. i've never heard about that yeah so yeah i think that that always kind of just was was something that always eluded him but man the impact that he's made on yeah. christian music and even what he's doing now at university mobile and and the 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 worship pastors that he's producing and professional musicians just you know, what a legacy and you and i are part of that as well you know oh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed uh hearing you guys sing at the 50th anniversary um Dude, last you, year you're the only person i videotaped at that because i was <laughs> you say holy of holies dude and i was like he sounds the same like okay so i not not i'm not gonna pat myself on the back of your butt i go ahead uh, um <laughs> sorry i recorded that i don't remember what key it was in let's just say it was it was Key of Q. E, it was really yeah, high. Yeah. Uh, key of E flat. Let's say I recorded an E flat. Well, when we we went to uh, rehearse it that night for that day for the for the big reunion, uh, the band played it in the key that I recorded it in, <laughs> and we ran through it a couple times. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it felt good because I've been rehearsing at home and all that stuff. And Dana Capolino came up to me, a guitar player that we both know and love came up to me and said, hey, uh, you know, we never performed it in that key. We always performed it a half step lower. I was like, no, 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 no. Are you serious? He goes, yeah, we've never performed it in that key. So I'm pretty proud of the Dude, fact that should be. 30 uh, years listen, later, almost 40 I could years later. I never do it, ever. And I, I'm just telling, I'm being honest. When I came in, Roger wanted to bring that song back out, which I just think there's some songs that you just retire with the singer. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. nobody's ever going to sing Holy of Holies like you. You know, it's just like, I don't think anybody should sing So Far So Good, but partly because that was my yes. song. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. It was nowhere near dynamic like yours. That's was. right. That's right. But but I will say, dude, I could, I remember the, the road, the road, Holy of Rose, the road. I don't know. What was that a C? I don't know. It is up there. Yeah. It's just, and you did this crazy like compression thing that your voice does where it's like, Oh, it's not that high, you know. And it's uh, yeah. Well, I knew I only had like three of them. Like you know, it's kind of like good thing. That's I had, all I, I had. I think I had three in my pocket that day, and I was like, okay, I've got one in rehearsal. 
I better save at least one for, you know, for the performance, just in case I lose one along the way. But yeah, uh, it's amazing. I could never redo it. And, you know, um, so a a good friend of ours, Jaron Davis, wrote that Mm -hmm. song. Yeah. And they just did a big tribute thing to Jaron Davis this past year. Uh, Bradley Knight wrote a musical with all of his songs and they did a big thing in Houston a concert and I, they asked me if I would record and sing that song. And I'm like, Oh, I'd be happy to, but you want to lower the key. <laughs> and so they did, they did actually lower the key. It wasn't a lot, but it was just enough to where it didn't, I could hit it and I wasn't exhausted. And I think that's part of age for me. It's like, yeah. I, I still have the, the timbre, thank God. Mm-hmm. But my long game, I talked to, I was talking to Sandy Patty about this. And she said the same thing. She's like, my long, I have one or two really great songs in me, but if you start trying to get me to do a full concert, my long game is gone. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think for so long, I don't know about you, but I went to lead worship mm-hmm. and instead of doing concerts and now you're just singing 20 minutes at a time, maybe four times a weekend. You're not, and your effort isn't required as yeah. much there as it is. But I will tell you this, you know, once I started teaching vocals and doing vocal clinics, I it was like I had to go back to the gym again to start working on my yeah. own voice. And I've yeah. seen the benefit of it. And I have a there's a friend of mine here in town in Tulsa who is a, a sax player, has a killer band, gotten to be really good friends with him. And he invites me to come sing at some of his events and yeah. sing all these Michael McDonald and and uh Kenny Loggins tunes. Uh, it's and it's super fun, but I've had to learn how to kick back into being up on stage for an hour again and yeah. singing that stuff. And but there is, you, there is, a, there's something about age with the voice that you know. I, I never want to lower the key unless I have to because it just, right. you know, because there's something about that that original key. There's magic in it. Oh, the way sure. the song is written and it matches your voice and. You know, I, I never wanted to be that guy that had to go up and sing stuff, you know, a step or a step and a half down. But, you know, you get to a certain age and you go, it's kind of all about survival now. And yeah. you can only do what you, you can do. If you lower it a half step, I'm not sure people really notice all that much. But if you lower it too much, it starts to, it starts to be obvious. And I don't, yeah. you know, the hard part, the hard part, this, I don't, in the grand scheme of the world, this is no big deal. But, you know, for guys like you and I, there's an expectation. You know, they expect the don't save it alls for Christmas Day. They expect yeah. the holy holies. They expect. And so a lot of times when people hire me to come in for Christmas, they're like, okay, well, we put don't save it all for Christmas Day is the third song and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, that, that song, I'm singing ease in that song. Like I, I was, I was 24 years old or 28 yeah. years old when I recorded yeah. that. You know? And so, I, you know, I have to figure out ways around it. And thankfully, that's the great thing about having training and, and going and taking lessons and getting a tune up. Mm-hmm. Is you remember, okay, I may not be able to hit it full voice, but I can hit it here. Right. And they will know the difference. And so right. I spent a lot of time <laughs> manipulating where <laughs> it works. Uh, let's talk a little more about your journey. Um, you know, leaving truth and joining Avalon. I mean, that was Avalon, you know, gosh, I would say one of the top four. We won't haggle over one through four because that doesn't really matter. But I mean, between four him. Porn of Grace, DC Talk, and Avalon, I would say, before Casting Crowns came along and just you know ruined it for everybody, I would say that you guys were at the top of the game as far as sales, radio, concerts, touring. You guys were just a, a powerhouse for so long. Did you know early on? Because I think one of the first places I remember seeing you guys together was Young Messiah. 
Yeah. Is that right? I think it was. Well, yeah, I wasn't in that group though. So that was actually Rick Kittleman. Who Rick, was in yeah, that. that's right. And, um, we, so I wrote a book over the pandemic and I wrote about all this stuff, but we'll talk about that later. But I, I remember specific, and I hadn't, I hadn't kind of gone back to all this until I wrote the book and it sort of forced me to relive some of it, you know, but I remember Jana had left truth before me and sort of, that was sort of the catalyst of everybody deciding, okay, we're going to start doing our own thing. And she, um, she invited us to come in St. Louis, Missouri to see the young Messiah. It was the, and I think you guys were there. I think you were on that tour. Yeah, we, yeah, we were. Yeah. Yeah. And, Uh um, and they were brand new, you know, nobody had ever heard of Avalon and they came out. And I, I remember thinking, this doesn't sound like anything else in Christian music. Like this is, this is going to be huge. And I, I mean, I wasn't a part of the group, you know, yeah. like she's, she's in the right place. This is going to be massive for her. And I, you know, and it's interesting because I was super frustrated with her for leaving because, you know, Jan and I were friends. I mean, you know, we were close and we still are obviously, but I was mad at her for leaving. But when I saw that, I was like, okay, she's in a good place and this is going to be awesome. And then, you know, cut to a month and a half later, I get a phone call from her saying, Hey, um, <laughs> do you be interested in coming out here to be a part of Avalon? And they hadn't signed contracts yet or anything. Yeah. And Rick didn't work out. And so I snuck away to Ve- to Vegas. <laughs> I snuck Nash Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Snuck away to Nashville <laughs> and took the meeting. And I'll never forget it, dude. It, it was for somebody. And I don't know if you ever felt this way. I know the transition from truth to, to CCM for you guys was a little bit different, but um, I remember sitting in Sparrow records and looking around at Stephen Curtis Chapman and BB and CC Winans. And at the time, Twyla Paris and Carmen and all these people surrounding me on these pictures and thinking, I don't, there's no way I'm going to, I don't belong here. And sure as the world, it ended up happening and pretty yeah. great. Well, and you had a big hit right out of the box too. Yeah, we had given up. So we we recorded that record. It's so funny because I left Truth and I bought. I remember I bought a car, and so stupid. <laughs> so I bought a car and I signed a lease on an apartment because I well, thought, oh, I because, got. But you, because you could, because well, no, people I understand. Didn't, I didn't no, have but, any money then. Well, but you had more money. You had to have well, more money than yeah, when you were well, at Truth because what people understand is Truth. You literally, they paid for all your living expenses and yes. and basically just gave you a twenty dollar bill here and there. To you, you know, got a twenty? I never got a twenty. <laughs> hey, I, I remember was, Mike Childers walking down the aisle of the bus, giving us a five dollar bill and saying today and tomorrow, and that meant yeah. you had that you had two hundred two dollars and fifty cents for lunch today yep. and two fifty tomorrow. That's right. And, yeah. and I'm, you got to like, get creative. Yeah, we did get creative <laughs> with my dad's credit card. But, um, you know, I, I moved to Nashville thinking I was going to have all this money. And then, you know, I didn't realize you actually have to start touring to make money. You yeah, know, that's right. So we made we made a record that entire summer. We lost a member. Tabitha Fair was in the group and she left. <laughs> she took a, um, took a phone call. We were at Charlie Peacock's studio and I was playing Tetris on an old computer. Jana was laying on the couch and Michael was in the box. And she picked Tabitha picked up the phone and she said, guys, I got to run into Nashville real quick for a meeting. I'll be right back. And Charlie's like, okay, cool. And she walked out the door and I remember just sitting there playing Tetris going, she ain't coming back. She's not coming back. Oh my gosh. Like, sure she is. I'm like, nah, she ain't coming back. And we wow. never saw her again. Wow. And who replaced her? So that was in the middle of the record. Yeah. 
Yeah. Had you so done no, had you done photo shoots and all no, that stuff yet? No, interestingly enough, we hadn't done photo shoots with her. Um, they had done them previously with Rick, but when Rick left, they had to start over anyway. So they yeah. just kind of like, let's just wait until we get the record done, which was probably smart on their part. But Norman met with us and he's like, listen, we've got some people. We'll, we'll find somebody. Don't panic. And, and we did. We found Nikki Hassman, who's now Nikki Anders. And Nikki just fit better as far as vocally. Her voice uh -huh. fit better. She, you know, so anyway, we could talk about that all day long. But the Avalon chapter for me was, I'm so ambivalent, sort of like I am with truth, I think, you know, it was amazing. But it, you know, it was definitely, I look back on it now and I wanted it so badly. And I remember praying to God, like, God, please give me this. Please give me this. Please give me this. And I wanted it, honestly, for all the wrong reasons. Let's be fair. Like, I was the kid that used to sit at Night of Joy and listen to you guys and everybody else sing and thinking, I want to do that one day. I want to be that CCM artist, celebrity. And so God gave it to me. He's like, fine, I'll give it to you. It's There's going to be moments where it's going to really suck, but I'm going to give it to you. And it yeah. did. Great. Yeah. And it was awesome. Yeah. it's every Everybody has the same story that... It was really hard in those days. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't care if you're Stephen Curtis or Michael W. It was, it was hard. And touring life and artist life is difficult because you kind of don't know what you want. Do you want success or do you want, do you want to be taken seriously? Yeah. Do you want money? Do you, you know, do you want to be called an, a true artist? I mean, you know, do you want to make the greatest record of all time or you just want to get songs on the radio? I mean. You know, right. I, I just want to put food on the table. I mean, that, that all those things are happening. And even when you hit a certain level of success, it's like you've got to keep taking all the dates. you got to keep taking all the opportunities. It's like you can never slow down you're afraid in to that say, industry. That's right. You're afraid to That's say right. no because if you turn one thing down, word spreads. Oh, well, they're not as committed as, you know. Yeah. And I think people are starting to – I think with all – the great thing about all these documentaries coming out of all these superstars, like the Elvis movie and the Whitney Houston thing and all that, is it sh shows that it, it, regardless, it doesn't matter if it's Christian music or mainstream music or whatever. There is a there's an understanding of artists and there's a, I don't know, stigma placed on artists. It's like you you have to be all of these things. If you're not all these things, then we'll just assume you're not serious about your career and we'll move on to the next person. Right. And so the whole strike to the strike while the iron's hot and get in there and work as much as you can. It's like you have one number one. Well, what's the next number one? Well, they right. have number two. Now, what's number three? What's number four? What's and then and, and it's like it's pressure you put on yourself, but it's also pressure that the machine puts on you. That's right. And there came a point after the and this sounds super glamorous, but you know what I'm talking about. After the 15th or 16th number one, you start to think, oh no. Is this how long can this go? This can't yeah. go forever. Yeah, and and it didn't. You started. I, I remember around the early two thousands, and honestly, it was around the time when the iPod came out and music started moving to digital. Everything started to change, and the mm -hmm. record, and the, the radio station started to say, "Well, our listeners are tired of Avalon. They're tired of this. You know, they want mm -hmm. something new." Yep. And it, it was like overnight they stopped playing us on the radio. And that was difficult for us. We were spoiled because we could release anything and they would play it. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, so, that, was, that was the same thing for us. And yeah. I remember I remember Wayne Watson telling us one time, guys, every artist has a career arc. Yeah. And at some point, it's going to start to decline. And you have to decide how long do I ride this down or how hard do I work to keep the decline from speeding up, right? 
And that's everybody's going to have to get to that point. You never know when it's going to be. But like you said, you can kind of feel it. You kind of wake up one morning and just go, is this record as good as the last one? And or, you know, that that song only stayed number one for a week or the second single only went to number three. And where any other artist that's just getting started would throw a party yeah. at the level we were at, we were like, oh, OK, what's going on here? This we're not used to this. You get to a certain level of acceptance and and people loving what you do that you could almost release anything. Yes. And and people would buy it and play it. Yeah. I, and I do not want to sound like I'm not grateful. Like I'm so grateful for every uh, every radio programmer, everybody who who took a chance on Avalon and played us on the radio. I would not be able to minister and do the things that I do today if it weren't for the opportunities that I had had back then. And I know that I'm not stupid. I know that people, anybody who knows who Jody McBrayer is, it's because of my time spent with Avalon. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. But I remember being at a, at a thing at Sparrow where they gave us a plaque and it was four or it was five consecutive number ones off of the oxygen record. And they presented us. So, so every song that came off, every single went to number one and they gave us this plaque. And I remember standing there taking the picture and in my mind thinking, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, because can we, I don't think we can ever top this again. And we did not Yeah. The next record sold half of what oxygen did and the next you know and it was just it, it the pressure of that i remember sitting on the bus um well i left in 2007 but i remember around 2004 sitting on the bus and um thinking I, i'm i'm so tired of trying to keep this up and we were still pushing 250 dates a year and, wow wow it was a lot man. you know, you know? that's that's a common story again that i hear from my friends that i have on this podcast is that you work so hard and it goes so fast. You don't feel like you got to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, if you could go back, what you know now, I mean, you know, if we could take all the knowledge we have now and take it back 20, 25 years, I mean, would we do it different? I would hope we would, but it just, go, it goes by. So you work, you're working so hard that you miss it yeah. and you don't really, you don't really get to, to share in all that joy, but our fans did, you know, again, look back. It's kind of like how we started talking this, conversation was we can look back now and and just just smile and listen to those songs and listen to our early albums just go wow there's something really awesome that god really was was good to us and uh what a what a journey we've been on so tell me about you alluded to it just a second ago tell me about your exit from from avalon and and that next journey in your life well i mean so in 06 i think to be honest so my dad passed away in 2000 and that was, you know, I don't know. Did you ever get to meet my father? I don't know. I don't that you think I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My dad, um, he was, man, he was just Jesus with skin on. I mean, he mm-hmm. was amazing and um, such a great father, such a great husband and so, so involved and just, you know, always, I don't know. He was great. I had a great dad. And um, when he passed away, I think it was sort of the catalyst for some dysfunction in my life that I, I kind of let root. I don't know. We don't need to get too deep in here, but um, you know, I, I, through counseling and just different things, I kind of realized I was putting him on a pedestal, probably above God, you know, like my dad was here and then God was here and that's not the way it's supposed to be, you know? And uh, when he passed away, it kind of, I was newly married. My wife and I had just gotten married in 99 and my dad died in 2000. So we kind of started marriage with all that, 
dysfunction. And, um, and then I found out in 06 that I had heart disease. I still have heart disease. Um, I have a hypertrophism and then I have a genetic abnormality in my heart. So, um, just my heart atrophies, my heart muscle atrophies. Anyway, didn't need all that either, but suffice it to say my marriage was a mess. I was physically a mess. Um, I just, I just was not in a good place spiritually, emotionally, physically at all and everything. And I had, I had doctors and counselors and, um, even my, my spiritual, uh, accountability pastors name is Tim Johnson. He pastors a church in Orlando, but he's like, buddy, you need to quit your job. He goes, you need to come off the road. You're going to die. He goes, you're already dead emotionally and phys- and spiritually. Your marriage is about to die. I'm worried about you physically. You need to stop. And, um, you know, and my wife was sitting in the same room when he said that, and she was like, please, please. And so I quit. I remember calling. It was right before Avalon was supposed to be at Celebrate Freedom, and, you know, for KLTY oh, in Dallas. Yeah, in down Dallas, uh-huh. And I called, I called Jana and said, I'm not coming back. And she's like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> Maybe. And I didn't come back. I left. Yeah. And then my wife was working at Provident at the time. She was a um, creative director at Sony at Provident. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, I remember and that. she quit. Two months later, wow! We came home and just, you know, tried to put some broken pieces back together, you know. And thankfully, with God's help, we've been married for twenty-four years. And wow, congratulations! Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's hard work, especially being married to people like us. I don't know. You seem like you're way (laughs) more back than I am. Yeah, yeah. We won't talk about me. This is about you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll air my dirty laundry. But I spent the better part of seven, about seven and a half years, just honestly being so, feeling sorry for myself. Just mm-hmm. you know, like oh, nobody wants me, everybody hates me, you know, and I'll never sing again. And people would call me and ask me to sing at stuff, and I'd be like, no, it's okay. I'll let the perfect people do that, and you know, just poor pitiful Pearl being sure. kind of a baby, yeah. and um, sat behind a desk and did HR for my family's, my wife's family's company, and. I was going to ask you, what did you do in the meantime? Because I remember when you went through all that and I remember thinking, wow, what, if that were to happen to me, what would I do? Like, this is my identity. I don't, I don't have another skill set. I mean, at least you worked at Disney for a little while doing something else for a short period of time. I didn't even do that. So I would, it it terrified me to see you go through that. And, uh, man, what a testimony as I, you know, as we reconnected later on to hear you share your journey and what you'd been through and how God had done a real work in your heart and in your body. Um, you know, that was, I think it was just a great thing for all of us to kind of watch from a distance to see, not that we, not that we wanted you to go through that, but man, to see you, you know, just to see, to see how God really used that in your life and, and, you know, what you're doing now. I mean, it's just, just mind blowing. Well, I don't know about mind blowing. I, I know that I know that I have a way more secure outlook on who I am in Christ and what he's called me to do than I ever have in my life. And he's allowed me to experience and see things and go through things. Um, a lot of which can only be explained as supernatural. And I don't I don't want to sound hokey and I don't want to sound cheesy or Christian easy. It is what it is. You know, I, I I've seen people healed, I've seen God do miraculous things, I've seen things that can only be explained as God. And, um, with that comes the responsibility to do this for the rest of my life. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't allow us to experience those things and not 
require us to share about them or tell about them, you know. And I, I feel such a strong sense of responsibility to, you know, and I'm not going to cry. I, I, I tend to tear up and I'm not going to keep it together, man. Um, <laughs> but I but I have such a strong desire, a strong sense of responsibility to tell the world what he's allowed, what he's brought me through and what he's allowed me to see. And, um, you know, those seven years were challenging for me. I went through, a, I spent a lot of time on the couch. My wife got Lyme's disease during those seven years and was oh my goodness. Really debilitated and just wow. curled up a ball on the couch, every joint, you know, it was awful. And, um, you know, we spent, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on doctors. Any money that I got from being in Avalon, we blew it in that, you know, every penny because we didn't, our insurance was awful, you know? Yeah. Um, I think our deductibles were like 5,000 a piece or something like that. So wow. we blew through the money. We ended up going to a holistic doctor and getting help for her there. And of course they didn't take insurance, but she's better. She's healed. And I'm thankful. Thank for God. That. Um, and then we lost a couple of kids, you know, um, miscarried, uh, mm. tried to adopt, lost that child. And, you know, I just kind of felt like a punching bag, man. I just felt like, you know, you grew up in the church and you've heard the whole, I mean, I remember my pastor putting both hands on the pulpit and saying, God will never put more on you than you can bear. And I'm just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, and it reached a boiling point for me. I think after we, after we lost uh, the child that we were supposed to adopt, we went to the beach and I stepped in the water and was ready to take my life. You know, I was, wow. I was and I didn't realize, you know, and, and this is something you don't talk about in church, but I didn't realize I was deep in depression. Like, like big time, like it, things were, things were darker. I, I could be standing outside in the middle of the day and it would seem overcast to me. It was that bad. And, um, I stood in the ocean and I looked up at the sky full of stars and I said, you're not there. I said, you, you have absolutely abandoned me. And I said, I feel, I said, and, and you know, in my stupidity, I'm like, I've spent my whole life trying to serve you. And, you know, not thinking, yeah, but I've also given you copious amounts of grace for the stupid things you've done. You know, I'm just, being an idiot. And before I knew it, dude, I was walking into the water and I thought my life insurance will kick in because they'll think I went for a swim and I drown and wow. I'm just going to go all the way in. And the only thing I can tell you is the first supernatural thing that I ever encountered in my life was 3 a.m. being in that water. And I remember the water going over my head and I was going to just take it in. And then the next thing I knew, I was. I woke up with sun shining in the window of my bedroom at this rental house we were in and the sheets were wet and there was sand in the sheets. So I had obviously been in the ocean and somehow God took me out of that water and put me back in my bed. And I tell people every time I share that, I'm like, I know that you're sitting there thinking you don't believe this. And I mean this with all the love in my heart. I really don't care. I don't try to be disrespectful, but I don't care whether you believe it or not. All I know is, is that I was in the water and then I wasn't. And um, I called my buddy who was a pastor of a church in California and he, I told him the story and we went through the whole thing together and he put me in touch with a clinical psychologist in Nashville who didn't practice as a Christian, you know, but was a believer. And I remember going to his office and telling him the story and it, you know, it's so long, it's so much longer than what I'm doing here. This is the Cliff Notes version, if you can believe that. And I remember him saying to me, Jody, what do you want from me? Like, what is it that you're wanting? And I said, I just, I just don't want to hear Jeremiah 29, 11 again. Huh. You know what I mean? Like, 
grown up in church my whole life and everybody's saying, you know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm. And I'm just like, I don't feel prosperous and I feel harmed. You know, I, I feel like I'm falling apart and, you know, I don't mean any disrespect to the word of God and that's not, but I was so far into depression that I didn't even realize he'd just done the miraculous in my life. You know? Yeah. Well, you're at a point in your life where you can't, you can't take verses out of context and expect them to bring exactly. life into your, into your yeah. body. Yeah. Well, nothing was breathing life into my body at that yeah. point, you know? Um, and it was, it was a, it, it, it was a process, man. I, I mean, I had to take antidepressants for six months. I, it was, he would be, you know, when you get out of bed, you put one foot on the ground. Let's be grateful for the fact that the ground's still there and you can walk. You go into your kitchen, your wife and your daughter are there. Let's be thankful for your wife and your daughter. You got a roof over your head. You, and it was that rudimentary. It was just baby steps. And, you know, because of God's grace and because of people, family members, my wife that just surrounded me and were patient with me, I was able to get back. And, and it could made me commit myself to say, I'm, I don't ever want anybody to get to the place where I was in that water and go so far that they can't come back, you know? And so, um, Ever since then, that's really kind of been why I make music and why I minister and why I do what I do. And I'll never stop. Good, don't. No, it's yeah. God's blessed you too much to to stop now. And I'm I, I look back on uh, that little for him 25th anniversary tour we went on yeah. a few years back, and you came out and 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 uh, sang with us on a few of those dates. And I knew you were different. Like I think you and I had a chance to just kind of have some time together and talk and pray. And, um, you know, I think some time that as much as we knew each other and cross paths so many times in our history in Christian music, we never got that time to really sit down and, and, uh, you know, just fellowship together as, as brothers and believers. And I really look back on that as a really special time. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful. Uh, as I know so many people are, that you're still with us and you're still, again, I'll go all the way back to what I said earlier, one of the most incredible, beautiful voices in all of, in all of music. And I, there's nobody like you, Jody. There's not. I, I, I just remember, again, my mind goes back to you singing with us on that, on that tour, just going, good grief. Like, I can't, I, I can't. I just can't take it. It's incredible. And now, you know, doing solo stuff, still out with Avalon, doing, you know, with Kana's voice, with, you know, just, do you feel like there's a new wind in your sails? Do you feel like there's a new, yeah. you know, uh, you're reinvigorated to go out and do what you're doing? Yeah. You know, the hard part for me is I think, <laughs> and I don't, I don't give voice to this very often, but I feel like that there's a stigma attached to me. Um, and maybe it's past mistakes, maybe it's, um, assumptions. I don't know, but I struggle sometimes to, uh, I struggle sometimes to get past what people think. And the wonderful thing about getting older is the older you get, the less you worry about stuff like that. Yeah. You know? I feel that I, I had that too. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember somebody telling me that back in like 97 or 98, here's what people in Nashville think about you. And uh-huh. I was like, what? Yeah. That's that's how I come off. I had no idea. But you get to the other side of it, you look back and kind of go, eh, not, you know, we're all on our own journey. Yes. And all those people that probably said those things about me 
are willing to sit down and have wonderful conversations because they've all been through their own things as well. We were all just trying to figure it out back then. We were all messed up in our own way. We but, still are. But we, but we still are. Yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, if, if somebody truly has it all together, then that means that they're Jesus and I'd love to sit down and talk to them. You know, I, I just can't, I can't sit and worry about the evaluation that comes from man anymore. And I know that sounds like a Christianese thing to say like everything else, but it I just can't. I can't. Um, first of all, I know not everybody's going to like me. They're just not. For whatever reason, there's some people I've never done anything to them. They just don't like me. And that's okay. Um, I also know that not everybody's going to believe everything I say. And I can't prove anything to them. It's just my word against theirs. And if they don't believe it, then like I said, I don't care. I was there. And there's other things, other stories that I share that, that are pretty sensational. Honestly, there's things that, that God allowed me to see, like literally, um, you know, two and a half weeks after he saved my life from drowning, I prayed over a woman who received her sight. Wow. And I tell that story sometimes, and I can see the doubt in people's faces. And you and I both know, we've heard Roger Breland say it a million times, and I use it every night. Sometimes I think the reason why we don't see God do more is because we doubt he can and if we truly put our faith in a God who's able to do, like the Bible says, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think, then we have to believe he can heal the blind man. He can heal me of whatever my ailments are. And here I am with heart disease. I've lost 19% of my heart muscle function. And yet somehow God sustains me enough to travel and do the things that I do on a regular basis. So, you know, my whole thing is I will continue to do this with as long as my heart keeps beating and as long as I have breath in my lungs, and I just hope that, you know, I have every opportunity that God wants me to have, which obviously I will. So, and then, the, you know, balancing two groups on top of all that, I don't know. My wife says I have more jobs than anybody she's ever known in her life, but that's okay. I like working. Hey, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. If you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Christman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychristman.net, for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast. One Degree of Andy, sponsored by Yellowbox. Yellowbox is a full-service creative agency and an extension of creative teams all across the nation. Whether you need a brand identity developed or a video team capturing your event, Yellowbox can help. They cover everything from web development and design to video production and strategy. Yellowbox comes alongside your team on whatever creative projects you might be working on to see them through to their fullest potential. If you'd like to know more about Yellowbox, follow them on social media at Hello Yellowbox or shoot them an email at hello at yellowbox.co.